His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to His and Hers Horror. My name is Tia. And I'm David. That sounded weirdly sexy. Thank you. I, <laughs> is it because this is our pre-Valentine's Day episode? I mean, I won't say yes, but I won't say no. Fair. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just in a mood. No, I get that. So yes, this is our pre-Valentine's Day episode. Mm-hmm. Also want to note, because we record this at our apartment, and it's snowed quite a bit, so the guy who plows our parking lot at our apartment building, I swear to God, normally comes at like two o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. We are recording this early evening, and he's out there right now. So apologies so for apologies, the snowfall noise. So apologies, because it's not going to, it should go away shortly. He's already been on it for like half an hour, but you know. Yeah, I don't think he's got the staying power. Fair. I don't know. But it's... <laughs> it's I don't want to think about him like that. I don't either, because I don't know who it is. Mystery I, plow. Mystery plow. I'm imagining a very attractive guy in my head right now. Okay. There you go. Okay. Like, tight jeans, mm-hmm. a plaid, like, red and black plaid shirt, like, flannel. Oh, mine's, mine's blue and black. Yeah, yours is blue and black. His, You have a red and black one. Yeah. But, you know. Anyway. You know what I mean. Yeah. So, yeah. So, because it is our first episode pre-Valentine's Day. This is true. So, we decided we were going to do one of our themed episodes. <laughs> so, strap in, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and we are taking this opportunity to talk about killer couples. Absolutely. The, the couple that slays together stays together. Mm-hmm. I, not, that is not an admission of anything. No. <laughs> so before we get to that i do want to do dun 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 dun, dun this week in horror yeah that one sounded great yeah you did i i have a couple of things but did you want to go first because you have several um, as well or do you want me to go first why don't you go ahead and go first since since i know you've got some serious stuff to cover mine's a bit more silly okay i have two serious ones and then one that is a not it's not serious or silly really it's just like just legit news get on with it fuck sorry jesus (laughs) that sounded weird sorry no you're fine so sadly i have two deaths to report this week one of which just occurred yesterday so the first one of course is christopher Plummer passed away on the 5th which again it's just the day after the day before we recorded this at the age of 91, mm-hmm. his filmography is huge. Absolutely. I would challenge anyone to find something that they that of his that they haven't seen. Like, everyone's seen at least one Christopher Plummer movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think the last thing we saw him in was uh, Knives Out. Knives Out. He was also in one of my favorite crime-type movies, Inside Man. Oh, yeah. He was also in some classics. For example, The Sound of Music mm-hmm. and Waterloo. Oh, yeah. I actually forgot he was in Waterloo because I haven't seen it yet. Well, there's a lot of people in Waterloo. That is true. The other actor who sadly passed away recently was Hal Holbrook on January 23rd at the age of 95, though. And we're just finding out about it? Well, no, we found out about it, but we it was 
the news was released after we had recorded oh, okay. the previous week's episode, so we're talking about it now. Fair enough. Horror roles for Hal Holbrook include Creepshow and The Fog, mm-hmm. but he was also in uh, All the President's Men, Wall Street, and the Lincoln movie that had Daniel D. Lewis as Abraham Lincoln. So, I mean, they were up there in age. It's still sad, though, to lose and you know any acting legend, really. Yeah. So hopefully people... I, I, rest in peace seems like a weird phrase to say, but you know what I mean. I mean, we can honor their catalog. Yeah, exactly. So the other piece of news I have, uh, we did a re- an episode recently about the Resident Evil franchise. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned the new Resident Evil movie that's supposed to come out this year. So recently, Sony actually confirmed the release date. Oh, sweet. Now, again, things are still up in the air when it comes to the pandemic. We had several things last year that got pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. So this could change, but so far Sony has said uh, September 3rd. Oh, wow. So it says in theaters. They're being extremely optimistic, that, but you know, we do have, we do have vaccines rolling out. There's two different vaccines in, in the US. So and, and others that are being tested. So Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's entirely possible. We could be able to go to movie theaters again by September. Of some year. Well, of, of this year specifically is what they mean. <laughs> they specifically said of 2021. Okay. So September 3rd, 2021, new Resident Evil film. And that's all I have for this week in horror. But I know you had some stuff too. Yes, I do. So Amber Alerts are kind of a serious thing, right? Yeah, yeah, they are. Why the fuck are we talking about Amber Alerts? Well, bear what? with me. <laughs> what the fuck? So I, I read this article from the New York Times. It was written by uh, Brian Peach. This was on February 3rd. Uh, he released uh, an article talking about an Amber Alert that was kind of amusing. And it's related to horror. So some excerpts of this. Uh, an Amber Alert sent to Texans last week warned that a child had been abducted by Chucky, a 28-year-old male with red or auburn hair and blue eyes who stands 3 feet 1 inch tall. <laughs> His race was given as Other Doll. I kid you not. No. The alert, which was sent by email on Friday warned of a 16-pound suspect wearing blue denim overalls and wielding a huge kitchen knife. It included an image of Chucky, the killer doll introduced in the uh, 1988 slasher film Child's Play. What? The- Here, here's the thing. This is this is straight up legit. The Texas Department of Public Safety has since apologized, saying in the statement that the alert was sent as a result of a test malfunction. Now, first of all, who is writing well, a test? Who te- is writing a test? Do we have a fan in Texas that's writing these? Somebody in Texas is a horror fan. What was the name of the missing child? Was it Andy Barclay? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. The Texas Department of Public Safety continued by saying, We apologize for the confusion this may have caused and are diligently working to ensure this does not happen again. People who had subscribed to the Texas Alert System received the emailed alert three times on Friday. Uh, according to KENS5, uh, a television station in San Antonio. The department did not respond to questions about how many people had received the alert or the circumstances that led to it being sent, or I'm going to say, or how it was programmed. The alert identified the abductee as Glenn, a five-year-old boy wearing a blue shirt and black collar, in seat of Chucky, a doll named Glenn slash Glenda, yeah. was Chucky's child. yeah. Uh, the alert said that Chucky and Glenn were last seen in a residential address in Henderson, Texas, about 130 miles southeast of Dallas. A woman who answered a call to a phone number associated with the address on Wednesday said, yes, I'm aware. Uh, when asked about (laughs) the alert before hanging up. Don Mancini, the director and screenwriter 
who created Chucky the character, yeah. shared a news article about the alert on Twitter saying, please find them. Oh. Uh, so, I mean, you know, there was that erroneous alert that went out in Hawaii that legitimately scared people about a ballistic missile strike. Yeah, and you then know, this. And, and that was just in 2018. Here we are, 2021. Now we're looking for a three foot one inch tall doll. Well, and here's the thing. I, I, I get Amber Alerts on my phone through stuff. and I'm, But I, as a horror fan, if I got that Amber Alert, I would have been like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> because I would have known that that was bullshit. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I know. I, I saw that and I'm like, I am saving this. I am keeping this close to my chest. I'm not going to discuss this with you because I wanted to see your reaction. Because my, yeah, preach. I appreciate that. Speaking of reactions, let's rhyme with that. And I have a retraction. <laughs> so in the last episode, I said I did not really give two shits about Kong or Godzilla or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, I made us watch a movie that we'll talk about later, uh, and it was a film. It was indeed a film we watched. Yeah, and, and uh, again, we'll, we'll get, get to that. We'll, later. we'll get, get to that later. But regardless, I basically said, you know what? For the rest of the weekend, you you pick what we're watching because I'm not I'm not going to be involved. And I immediately took advantage of that by putting on Kong Skull Island, which was bloody fantastic. Fuck yes, it was. Pr- Probably one of the best big creature movies I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. And yes, we followed it immediately with uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters. Yep. Which also was really good. Uh, I love seeing Ken Watanabe again. Uh, I've, I've been following him since he was doing dramas on NHK TV when I lived in Japan. So anytime I get a chance to see him, I'm happy. But Kong Skull Island... So was good. was absolutely good, and I agree. Tom Hiddleston, especially with in that scene sword. with the sword and the gas mask, and it, it look if you if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. You have your own feelings. I Ugh. respect those feelings. If when, you haven't seen it, watch the movie. And when he just snatches that katana out of midair, mm-hmm, 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 oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And it was the first it. movie I've seen where I actually enjoyed John C. Riley. Yeah, we had this conversation because he usually plays someone insufferable. Yeah, and and that kind of character like a, just basically just a large him. child. Yeah. No, his character in this was great. Yeah, it, loved it, it. I I could not recommend it more. Yay! So there you go. I like I like I'm not right a lot. I do like when I'm when I'm right. Well, I never said you were wrong. I no, just, I know. I was the one that was wrong in saying that I wasn't interested but having seen it now i can say wow yeah that was definitely well because here's the thing there are a lot of movies that i absolutely love that you have seen that you don't care for Mm -hmm. i love the the doom with the rock and carl urban you can take it or leave it yeah i'm indifferent to that yeah i love the resident evil franchise you're kind of indifferent to it 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 just i wind up with more questions than answers after every single film so yeah i was fully prepared for these to be the same way no, I'm no. That I was that was good. Awesome. This bump. Bing. We, we both, both went, went French, French fries. fries. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Are we ready to get into uh, the meat of the episode? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Meat. I, I I think we are definitely ready for that. Yeah. So killer couples. Mm-hmm. And it, we're specifically talking about like people involved romantically that do murders. 
Yeah, so no twins. No twins, no Well, I mean, no unless siblings. they're romantically... We might do, do like something like that further on down the line. Yeah, definitely. But for this episode, we are specifically looking at romantic partners. And I thought it would be fun to do a couple of real life killer couples first. Okay. Sure, sure. Kind of to give us some context. And I, yes, but I'll, it ended up being harder than I thought to find killer couples for whom their crimes don't really involve sexual assault. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of those. There is a lot of those. I have several of those in my honorable, well, dishonorable mentions uh-huh. at, at the end of this part. But I specifically wanted to look at people who just did, like, Killing. murders and robberies, maybe. Okay, sure. So, obviously, Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow. I mean, it, it amuses me to this day how many parents I have seen talk to children and go, Oh, you two are just like Bonnie and Clyde. It's like... Uh, it's like, clearly you don't know much about Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> I mean, I've also heard the comparison. You two are just like Butch and Sundance. I'm like, again. Again, clearly you don't know a lot about Butch and Sundance. So you want them to be famous criminals? Famous criminals who get shot to death? Okay, cool. I mean, there's a life plan, I guess. Sure, I guess. That's how you want your kids to grow up, I, I suppose. So I didn't go into a ton of detail. Right. Bonnie and Clyde committed 13 murders and a string of robberies between 1932 and 1934. They were eventually, sadly, gunned down by police in 1934. Well, now, now, they're murders. It's my understanding that most of those were just to, like, escape. They weren't necessarily... I think so. They, it wasn't like a serial murderer kind of deal. It was just like... They were um, more about the robbery. Mostly, yes. Mostly. And, and pills, I believe. Because Clyde had uh, injured himself in prison. Yeah. And was kind of hooked on that. Yeah, I think so, if I remember correctly. But yeah, they ended up being gunned down by a police posse, I guess you could call it. Yeah. So one interesting fact I have about Bonnie and Clyde, they wanted to be buried side by side. Mm. If they, if they, well, when they passed basically. Right. So when they were gunned down by police, it was just assumed, especially since there was already a plot purchased for Bonnie next to where Clyde and his brother were going to be buried, Mm -hmm. that they would just be buried there. Her mother refused. So Bonnie is actually currently buried in a completely different cemetery that's like nine miles from the cemetery where Clyde is buried. But as of 2019, Bonnie's niece, Rhea Lynn, and Clyde's nephew, Buddy, are actually trying to get Bonnie moved. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like I said, there's an open spot next to Clyde that is specifically set aside for Bonnie. It has remained empty for over 85 years. Holy moly. Yeah. Unfortunately, the disinternment of a body... Uh, so, like, digging up a body and yeah. moving it, it's it's a legal matter. Mm. So, basically, if she wants to have her moved, they would have to take it to court. Now, this is from 2019, this news, so it's entirely possible that they may be, like, getting that put together. But I imagine it takes time and money to do that kind of thing. Right. And right, right. a global pandemic probably slowed that down just a touch. Or it could speed it up if you just had, you know, some friends dig it up. And, you know, I don't know where this accent's coming from. I'm from L.A. I don't know. It's real weird. <laughs> I blame Missouri. In a positive way. Okay. Giving me a, a bank of accents to play with. Sure. I don't feel like I have an accent, but okay. Not much of one. <laughs> really? Yeah. All right. Fair. So the next one I have, the next uh, in real life killer couple mm-hmm. is Charles Starkweather and Carol Fugate. Okay. Are you familiar with them at all? The names vaguely ring 
there is there is a reason for that. Okay. So they committed a total of 11 murders, although Carol Fugate was an accomplice for only like 10 of them. Mm -hmm. Those 10 murders actually took place all in January of 1958 over the course of eight days. They basically went on a spree. Holy shit. The victims of the spree included Carol's mother, stepfather, and two-year-old sister. So basically, Charles basically showed up at her house. There's differing accounts of whether or not she was home at the time. Mm -hmm. And her mother and stepfather didn't like him and didn't want him to be part of her life. And he basically killed them in retaliation. This is sounding awfully familiar. Yes, it is. Okay. So apparently they, after the family was killed... Charles and Carol stayed in the house for several days. Mm-hmm. But then when neighbors started to get kind of suspicious, like, where are the parents? Mm-hmm. Where's the baby? They basically fled. And on their, what's what am I trying to say? Mm. Their route as okay. they were fleeing, like wherever they would stop, there would be more murders, basically. So everything they touched died. Essentially, yes. It inspired the following films. Oh, so films. there may be. I'm yeah, only thinking films. of one. California. Okay. From 1993. Mm-hmm. That's that's spelled with a K, right? Yes. Uh, with David Duchovny. Probably. I don't know. I didn't look too much into it. I'm pretty sure David Duchovny is in it. Maybe. The Frighteners. Oh. Okay. And Natural Born Killers. That's the one that was ringing about. Which we will talk about in more detail shortly. Fantastic. Uh, it actually also inspired two songs. Really. Yes. So, are you familiar with the Bruce Springsteen song, Nebraska? Yeah. Don't feel bad. I'm I'm not either. Sure. Apparently, the song Nebraska is a first-person narrative based on the Starkweather murders. Holy moly. Now now I gotta listen to the song. Yeah. But the other place you may have heard it is in Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. Starkweather homicide, children of thalidomide. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's the Starkweather homicide. Exactly. Exactly. Holy moly, that's yeah. a deep cut. I know. The number of times I've done that at karaoke in Japan and never connected it. Yeah, that's where it's from. I mean, I was just reading words. Well, fair. So the last killer couple I have is actually from Missouri. She says with pride. Uh, look. We take what we can get. We take what we can get. But the other cool thing is this couple was recommended to me months ago. When we were looking at serial killers Mm -hmm. by our good friend Kelsey, because apparently this couple used to babysit a friend of hers. Holy shit. Yeah. So Ray and Faye Copeland. Okay. So they had anywhere between five and 12 victims. I think they were only actually convicted of like three because it was hard to actually find the evidence. Mm -hmm. So Ray was a child of the Depression and kind of made his career at one point by, like, stealing stealing and selling cattle and p- passing fraudulent checks and things like that. So he had a criminal record. Right. So because of his criminal record, which was specifically for fraud, he could not buy and sell cattle on his own. Hmm. So to get around this, he would pick up drifters and employ them as farmhands on his property in Mooresville, Missouri. Which and is uh, up near Chillicothe. Okay. And then he would have them buy the cattle. Yeah. Basically, he would have them use fraudulent checks to buy the cattle. And then once he had the cattle in hand, he would then sell them and the farmhands would 
just disappear. Well, no witnesses. Right. You you gotta have a clean operation, I guess. And for a while, the scam actually worked. But then the cops caught on and were like, this is weird, and arrested him. What time period was this? They were finally arrested in, like, 1989. Holy moly. Yeah. So it's it's kind of debated how much Faye actually knew mm-hmm. about what was going on. Like, there's some accounts that she was, like, just a, the dutiful housewife, uh, dutiful wife and mother, and didn't really take an active part. But other people are like, she had to have known what was going on because the bodies were buried on her property. I mean... Yeah, I mean, in theory. So upon his release from jail... He resumed the same scam of hiring drifters to buy cattle and that kind of thing. But this time would kill the men after they'd served their purpose. So I think he used to, like, let them go, Hmm. possibly. I couldn't find anything definitive on it. Okay. There is a documentary, but I didn't have time to watch it. I can only apologize, Kelsey. So basically, this went on until a previous employee called called Crime Stoppers. (laughs) Holy shit, the phone number does work? Yeah, apparently he called Crime Stoppers in uh, August of 1989, claiming that he had seen human bones on the farm and that Ray had tried to kill him. Hmm. So interestingly enough, Ray and Faye are the oldest couple ever sentenced to death row. Interesting. Neither of them ended up being executed, though. Ray died of natural causes in 1993, Mm -hmm. and Faye's sentence was commuted to life imprisonment in 1999, but she was paroled in 2002 and died in Chillicothe in 2003. Hmm. So there you go. There you go. Yeah. And there are other killer couples, but I didn't feel like, I mean, I could have talked about Ian Brady and Myra Henley or the Wests or. Right. Yeah. I just didn't. I felt gross. Yeah. Let's, let's not get into, I mean, this is all about, you know, the love. This is meant to be somewhat amusing at least. (laughs) Once you start bringing in, you know, sexual violence, it's... Yeah, it, it, it gets it be, less... It, it's not fun. It's skeezed. It's the opposite of that. Well, and you honestly, you you kind of wonder sometimes, it's like, how much is reporting on the facts and how much of it do some people see as, like, um, taking advantage... Not taking advantage. You know what I mean. Like glamorizing it. Or, yeah, or, which absolutely we we, is no. never our intention. No. So, I now have are cinema examples of killer couples. I only have three main ones. Okay. Because, again, I'm trying not to do too much. (laughs) So the first one, let's talk about Hellraiser. Ooh, are you talking about Frank and Julia? I am talking about Frank and Julia. Ooh, Frank and Julia. So Hellraiser came out in 1987. Sorry about that. Frank and Julia are our killer couple. They killed five people together. Mm-hmm. And then Julia kills another five by herself in the second film. Right. So the plot of the movie. After moving into Larry's childhood home, Julia discovers the newly resurrected, partially formed body of her brother-in-law and former lover, Frank. She starts killing for him to revitalize his body so he can escape the demonic beings that are pursuing him after he escapes their sadistic hellscape. But stepdaughter Kirsty soon discovers an odd puzzle box opening a gateway for Frank's tormentors to seek him out. Yeah. I yeah. love the Cenobites. Yeah, we'll we'll get into it. We'll talk about them, because I have some thoughts. So, director and screenplay, mm-hmm. Clive Barker. Right. Based off his novella, The Hellbound Heart. I actually, out of curiosity, I looked up the difference between a novella and a novel, mm-hmm. and I couldn't find a definitive answer. Because I, th- I think you've asked me that question before. 
when I picture novella, I think thinner than, say, a thick novel. There's not, like, a guideline for it, though, which is what I was looking for. I was like, is it a page number? Is it a word count? Like, thickness of book? What are Wait. we talking about? <laughs> yeah. No, I couldn't find anything definitive, so... Well, it's yeah. like, I mean, if, if you hand me a paperback of Stephen King's It, that is not a that novella. That is not a novella, no. That that is an that is an assignment is what that is yeah whereas like i don't know i would call something the size of most of steinbeck stuff mm-hmm. fair a, a, a bit a bit lighter yeah so our cast ashley lawrence is kirsty cotton mm-hmm. she was in four other hellraiser movies and not a, not much else of note she was awesome in the well hellraiser. yeah she was claire higgins as julia mm-hmm. she was mrs gilmore in ready player one Oh, okay. Uh, she's also Hazel Warren on EastEnders. Cool. Andrew Robinson is Larry Cotton. He was uh, Garrick on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. which I didn't know. Yeah. He was also the Scorpio killer in Dirty Harry. Nice. Sean Chapman is Frank Cotton. He was in two Hellraiser movies right. because he was in the first and second one. And he's done a lot of TV work in the UK. Cool. And then Doug Bradley as lead Cenobite. Yes. Mostly known for this particular role. Yeah. He's done other things, but most people most people know him for lead Cenobites. Yeah, I, in our household, we don't call him the PH because... Uh, There's a reason. I have that in my notes. Okay. We'll get into it. Okay. So it had a budget of $1 million. Mm-hmm. How much do you think it grossed for box office? The first one? Yeah. 3.5? 14.6. There you go. It did really well. There you go. So my fun facts that I have about this movie, mm-hmm. the film was originally supposed to be called The Hellbound Heart because that's what the book was called. Right. But the studio thought that sounded too much like a romance. I mean, it, it technically is a romance. Yeah. Well, kind of. So they asked Clive Barker to change it. <laughs> Barker offered sadomasochists from beyond the grave as an alternative. <laughs> Which was rejected for its overtly sexual content. (laughs) Well, make up your mind, studio. Do you want to go with my book title or do you want me to just give you a description? So so here's what he did. Here's what Clyde Barker did. And I love this. He ultimately opened up the floor to the production team and was like, hey, what should we call this movie? Which prompted a 60 year old female crew member to offer my favorite title Mm -hmm. and what I will call this movie as a subtitle from now on. What a woman will do for a good fuck. <laughs> so, <coughs> wow. Yeah, right? Yeah. So from now on, in my head, this movie will be, will be called Hellraiser. What a woman will do for a good fuck. Which, actually, I've got a Hellraiser quote to go along with that subtitle. Go for it. You open the box, we came. No. <laughs> This this episode's gotten very sexual all of a sudden. Jesus Christ. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Indeed. Um, (laughs) uh, So the term Cenobite, speaking of what, speaking of boxes, uh, the term Cenobite is a word meaning a member of a communal religious order. And in the Hellbound Heart, it specifies that the Cenobites are members of the Order of the Gash. Yes. So. (laughs) So, I mean, there's, there's no tiptoeing around this. There are, there are. I would dare say nearly as many sexual overtones in the Hellraiser series oh, yeah. as there are in, say, Alien. Oh, yeah. The of Alien course. franchise has so much sexuality in it with with the, the creature. And here we've got... Oh, yeah, definitely. Just, 
so we were mentioning the nickname for the lead Cenobite. Mm-hmm. So that actually, that nickname was devised by like the makeup team. Mm-hmm. It was just like a nickname that they came up with. And Clive Barker does not like it. He's never been, he's always been very vocal that he's not a fan of that nickname because it's undignified and disrespectful. Should, should we tell the audience what we're talking about in case they're unaware? I'm going to say it once. Pinhead. It, which I agree. It, it is a little... Yeah. It, 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 if you're familiar with the Hellraiser franchise, yeah, it is totally undignified. Yeah. Is it descriptive? Sure. Yes, it is. But, I mean, you, you don't go up to someone, a co-worker that has curly hair and say, Hey, Curly Q? I mean... Well, well, and, like, the nickname they came up with for the female Cenobite was not much better. The nickname they came up... Do you know what it is? No. It's Deep Throat. Ah. Uh, yeah. What's the one with the teeth? Chatterbox. 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 Yeah. Ugh. Uh, and the fat one is uh, Butterball. I know. All extremely disrespectful for as and, far as I'm concerned. And yet people say the Cenobites are the bad guys. No. So Clive Barker actually has... He refers to the character as Priest mm. in the Hellraiser comic series. Priest also hates the name Pinhead. Because if you've ever read uh, the Scarlet Gospels, oh yeah, uh, in the first, I think it's the uh, prologue, someone calls him that, and they things don't end well for them. No, things don't end well for anyone in the prologue, really, but especially for the person that decides to be a douche and call him Pinhead to his face. So, interesting fact about Doug Bradley: mm-hmm. he is one of only six actors to play the same horror character at least six consecutive times. Wow. Would you like to know the other actors? Please. Enlighten me. So, Christopher Lee. Obviously. Who has played Dracula. Dracula. Robert England. Freddy Krueger. Mm-hmm. Warwick Davis. Leprechaun. Or is it Warwick Davis? I can never remember. We do our best. We do our best. Sorry if we said it wrong. Uh, Brad Dorf. Chucky. Mm-hmm. And oh. Tobin Bell. John uh, Kramer, John a.k.a. Kramer. Jigsaw. Yeah. Yeah. Just as a side note, I would say about one in ten people i've spoken to think jigsaw is actually the little clown doll no it's not the doll is a prop it doesn't do anything it hasn't killed anybody exactly so just clearing that up for the one in ten so i have one lasting one remaining thought when it comes to hellraiser the first hellraiser movie okay and that is frank is fucking gross yes he is like larry has his faults he's a bit of a He's a bit of a wet blanket, a little milk toast, maybe. But, like, I've never... Like, he shows up at the house mm-hmm. when Julia's getting ready for the... For, like, preparing for getting ready... Getting married to Larry. Right. And it's, like, raining, and he's got, like, an open shirt and a leather jacket. And he cuts off her lingerie with a switchblade, which is just rude. Yeah, I mean... That's something people with way too much money to blow on lingerie do. Because speaking... Well, he just does it. That shit's expensive. That piss me off. That shit's expensive, especially if you find something that fits. If you find something that fits and is comfortable, it's going to run you at least $100. Yeah, so... Dude's an ass. Well, 60 to $100. Like... In today's economy? Depending, yeah. <laughs> but it's just And it's just unnecessary. Like, you were already going to... You were already seducing her. She was already DTF. She would have taken that off. Yeah. You did not need to cut it off her. Nothing kills the mood by her saying, hey, give me a second, I'll take this off, or something like that. That doesn't kill the mood. 
It's like whenever I'm reading like a historical romance and they talk about the guy like ripping her shift or her dress off. It's like, okay, this is like olden times. Like she couldn't just go to the store and quickly buy another one of those. You're being an asshole. Yeah. Don't rip people's clothes unless they unless they are into it and then it's fine. But like, right. Give her a chance to be like, hey, would you mind taking that off? So the key takeaway from this lesson is don't rip people's clothes off unless unless you have consent. Please, unless someone says to you, please rip my clothes off, don't do it. Yeah. Just let them take their clothes off. God. Rude. Rude fucking people. I know. So the next movie I have is The People Under the Stairs. Mm. Which I hadn't watched in a really long time and I forgot about several things in it. (laughs) Yeah, and I hadn't watched in a really long time and opted out of seeing it again because I didn't like it. No. That was my overall impression was I I did not care for it. I, I get that. I really do. So the killer couple in People Under the Stairs, which came out in 1991, is Mommy and Daddy Robeson. They're never given, you never know their first names. Ew. Yeah. They're just called, in the, in the, on the IMDb page, they're just called man and woman. But throughout the film, they call each other Mommy and Daddy. I think at one point she calls him Eldon, but that's about it. Hmm. You don't even learn their last name, I think, until like the very... I, I, should, I don't think it's actually ever said. Huh. It's just, yeah. So they have three confirmed kills. Okay. But there could be more. There probably are. But there are only three that we know of specifically because they occur during the film. Right. So the plot of the film, Fool's family is facing eviction and his mother is suffering from cancer. Against his better judgment, he agrees to help Leroy, his sister's boyfriend, rob the home of their greedy landlords, the Robesons, as it's rumored they have a rare coin collection worth thousands of dollars. The house is a virtual fortress with false floors, unbreakable windows, and other traps, and they find it's much harder to get out than it was to get in. Mm. Fool soon discovers he's trapped within the house, along with a multitude of mutilated people who live under the stairs. The titular people. Exactly. Written and directed by Wes Craven. Cast includes Brandon Adams as Poindexter Fool Williams... The only other things I saw of note that he was in was uh, he was Kenny DeNunez in The Sandlot. Okay. He was also Jesse Hall in The Mighty Ducks. All right. Everett McGill is Daddy. He was Big Ed Hurley on Twin Peaks. Mm. Wendy Robbie is Mommy. She was Nadine Hurley on Twin Peaks. Well, there you go. They were actually cast in this movie because Wes Craven saw them playing a married couple on Twin Peaks and loved them so much that he wanted them to be in this movie. So it was basically all or nothing with these two. Basically, yes. A.J. Lander is Alice. She was uh, Rayanne on My So-Called Life. Okay. Which I never watched, but you might have. Oh, yeah. I love that show. Uh, she was also Erica Warner on Private Practice. Ving Rhames oh, yeah. is Leroy. Mm-hmm. Of course, Marcellus Wallace. Does he look like a bitch? No. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Also, Luther in the Mission Impossible franchise. Yes. Uh, and then Sean Whalen as Roach. He did a lot of TV work over the years. This was actually his first movie. He was also one of the storm chasers in Twister. Nice. Yeah, he was one of the ones that was working with Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton. Right. So it had a budget of $6 million. Box office, 31.4. Well done. So not too bad. This is a weird movie. So let's jump into my fun facts. Okay. According to Wes Craven... 
The film's story was partially inspired by a real-life news story he read in 1978. Because everything's about something Wes Craven read. Well, to be fair, we've gotten some really good... We've gotten some really great movies out of shit Wes Craven read about in the news. True. Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, exactly. And so apparently, yeah. So apparently, two burglars broke into a home in L.A., which unintentionally led to law enforcement discovering a pair of children who had been locked in their room by their parents. Hmm. Like they were never allowed to go outside or anything. Yeah. So, yeah. The scene in which so there's a scene in the movie. Basically, of the three people who break into the house, one is fool. He's like a 13 year old kid, and then there's two adults. Right. Spencer's the one who goes in first, and he gets killed like right away. So at one point in the movie, Mommy comes out of the basement with Spencer's dismembered hand (laughs) and feeds it to their dog. Yeah. So the hand that she feeds to the Rottweiler Prince, it was basically a fake edible hand. I don't know what all it was made out of, but it was it was an edible hand. Food safe. Yeah, food safe. Uh, However, during filming the scene, Wendy Robbie actually noticed a wire in part of the hand in the dog's mouth and reached into the dog's mouth with her bare fingers to pull it out. Now, you, I'm sure, understand how hard it is to take food from an animal. <laughs> let alone a Rottweiler. Let alone a dog and a Rottweiler at that. Not that there's anything necessarily inherently bad with Rottweilers, but like... But I mean... They... Animals in general get defensive if they think you're trying to take their food. No, and, and I have nothing against Rottweilers. I just know they have very powerful jaws. They do. So yeah, she reached into his mouth with her bare hand and got the wire out, completely well, shocking the crew, including Wes Craven. Well, I'd imagine, you know, she's been working with this dog a bit. So, I mean, the dog had some familiarity. Plus, it's a film set dog, not just some rando's dog. So Right. It's just, a, she took, that was a big risk because that could have broken really badly. Yeah, it could have. Like, it would have been very easy for her to be like, hey, can we stop? I see something in the dog's mouth. Because I'm sure it had they had some sort of animal trainer that would have been it. But then again, how many of those hands did they have? Right. You know, no, I don't know. Knowing Wes Craven's film production history, they may have only had one. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> so I have some thoughts. Okay. What are your this, thoughts? On this film. So the way they talk to each other mm-hmm. is especially gross when you learn that they are not husband and wife. Yeah. Because you find out later in the film that the Robesons are actually brother and sister. Mm-hmm. And it's never confirmed, but it's heavily implied that there is an incestuous relationship there. They also, like I said, they call each other mommy and daddy. So like towards the beginning of the film, when they know that there's somebody else in the house, like she tells him to go inside and she's like, God, what does she say? Get in there, daddy. Make it safe for mommy. And I'm like, just stop, please. Stop stop talking to each other like this. Wow, lines like that out of context again. Go, daddy, go. <laughs> Get in there, daddy. Make it safe for mommy. That, Out of context, that just is, uh, hmm, yeah. Daddy's gimp suit doesn't help. No. Which I had forgotten about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I... His fucking leather daddy gimp suit. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's, uh... It's probably one of my strongest memories from the film yeah. in my formative years. I mean, granted, I had seen all sorts of stuff. I had just never seen anybody in a gimp suit before, so... The bit where he grabs his crotch, mm-hmm. and it's heavily implied that he's interested in molesting Alice, is very, very gross. Yeah. And then I have one 
there's one loose end that I don't think anybody, I know, I'm not sure if anybody really thinks about this. I'd be interested to hear people's thoughts if anybody else that's seen this movie. So Fool, after he escapes, decides to go back into the house at a later point because he promised he'd get Alice out of there because she's definitely abused and shit's fucked in this house. So the Robesons, essentially what they've been doing for decades, as far as we know, is adopting children or stealing children. We're not quite sure. And to try and find the perfect child. And whenever that kid doesn't work out, they remove the part that causes the problem and just chuck them in the basement. So their their basement, there are at least like 10, I think, Mm -hmm. at this point. There are several skeletons, so you know there may have been more of kids whose tongues have been cut out. They're not kids anymore. They're like late teens, early 20s. Right. Eyes removed, ears cut off, because there's this whole see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil thing. Yeah. So when Fool goes back in, he's talking to some of the uh, the basement people, who are also cannibals, by the way, because Daddy feeds them parts of dead bodies, and is like, you can get out. He's like, I know a way for you to get out of here so you can see the sun, birds, women. And I'm like, maybe don't, because these are cannibalistic people. Like, tell people that they're there. Yeah, and, and get them help. Don't just send out don't people Don't just let them go. Because, I mean, they, they've got a way of survival now that they're going to need help adjusting. Right, exactly. So at the, end of the, at the end of the movie, you see these stare people are just leaving the house. Can, can we get a better name for these folks than stare That's people? That's what they're but, called. They're called stare people. Uh, okay, that just, it hurts my heart. It, it, it sounds I don't know what else to call them. I don't, victims? I, victims. They're victims, but they could quickly become perpetrators because they just leave the house and are just now loose in the neighborhood. Well, that's why we need good aftercare That's what I'm saying. I wish he had told... A, a grown-up. Somebody. Somebody. Because you see them just, like, there's a crowd of people outside this house, mm-hmm. but you see them just kind of like, the crowd's not paying attention because there's money floating in the air, and you see these stare victims. Thank um, you. <laughs> just kind of like walking off into the night, Ugh. and I'm like, that does not bode well. Mm-mm. for this already downtrodden area. <laughs> so I I don't know. I wish there was some sort of follow-up to that. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I need a resolution. I want to know what happened with these people. <laughs> I hope that they got the help they deserved. I really do. Right. So the last film I'm going to go into in any detail is probably one of the more obvious ones when it comes to killer couples, which is why I saved it for last. Natural Born Killers. Right. So Natural Born Killers came out in 1994, our killer couple here is Mickey and Mallory Knox. Right. So I've given you body counts for the others on my list, and they were both fairly low. Five, three. What do you think uh, old Mickey and Mallory got up to? I have no clue, but I know it's higher than that. It is much higher. About 145. Ooh. Yeah. Spicy. Yeah, quite a bit. So let's get down to the plot. A satire of the media, public opinion, and the modern attitude towards violence The film tells the story of Mickey and Mallory Knox, two victims of traumatic childhoods who become lovers. After murdering her abusive family, they begin a road trip of murder, leaving only one victim alive at each location to tell their story. Hmm. As a result, they are irresponsibly glorified by the mass media, especially reporter Wayne Gale. Just before their transfer from prison to a psychiatric hospital trial, 
An exclusive interview between Mickey and Wayne leads to pandemonium, not just within the prison itself, but nationwide. Okay. I actually forgot this movie was directed by Oliver Stone. Yeah. Just because you you think Oliver Stone and you think like... JFK? JFK and like artsier cinema, you know what I mean? You don't think natural born killers. Eh, well... You look at something like Natural Born Killers and you think Tarantino, you think Robert Rodriguez. That was before their time. Actually, technically it wasn't. Because the original story that they use as basis for the script was by Tarantino. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino wrote the story and wanted to make the movie himself but couldn't get funding. So he allowed it to be optioned by another studio. And And his piece got picked up by Oliver Stone. Yeah, and so the script was retooled by uh, uh, David Velos, Richard Rutowski, and Oliver Stone. They all kind of worked on it together. So of the movies we've talked about today, this one has like the best known cast. Right. I'm still going to do my due diligence because, again, not everybody knows things like I do. Mm. So Woody Harrelson is is Mickey Knox. He was uh, Tallahassee in Zombieland. He was also Detective Marty Hart on True Detective. Oh, and he was in The Hunger Games. Yes, he was. I actually forgot about that. And he was on Cheers. Yes. I'm curious how much of our demographic even knows what the hell Cheers is. 4%. Okay. <laughs> Juliette Lewis mm-hmm. is Mallory Knox. She was Kate in From Dust Till Dawn. Yeah. She's also done quite a bit of other stuff over the years. Robert Downey Jr. is Wayne Gale. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do I need to say the <laughs> Iron Man, Sherlock Holmes... Yeah. Lots of other stuff. You yeah. know who you know who Robert Downey Jr. is. He is Iron Man. He yeah. Is to- well, he was Iron Man. He was Tony Stark. Yes. Robert Downey Jr. is still alive. Iron Man is not. Oh, now I am sad. Oh. I um, love you 3,000. Oh, it didn't help. Oh. <laughs> oh. I'm so sad. <laughs> okay, we're moving on. Tom Sizemore is Detective Jack Scadnetti. Mm-hmm. He was a uh, Sergeant Horvath in Saving Private Ryan. Tom Sizemore usually plays a soldier or a cop. Yes, he does. Uh, when, as soon as he said Sergeant, I'm like, okay, in which movie? Lots of movies. Lots of movies. He's usually in the. He's either in the military or he's a police officer. Mm-hmm. Something. And then Tommy Lee Jones is Warden Dwight McCluskey. Tommy Lee Jones has also been in a ton of shit. The Fugitive. Uh, no Batman Con- Forever? Yep. No Country for Old Men. Wait, was it Batman Forever? It was Batman Forever, okay, yes. Okay, yeah. Because he was Two-Face. Mm-hmm. Not the best Two-Face, but also not the worst. So, True. You know. Oh, uh, he was... Yeah, you said Fugitive, right? Yep. Okay, yeah. Um, I didn't kill my wife! I don't care! Yeah, great movie. Yeah. It had a budget of $34 million, box office of 50.3. Hmm. Which, kind of a bummer. But, you know, it's an Oliver Stone pick, so I, I expect it to be expensive. Had it been the production cost of the other films we talked about, that would have been a haul. Yeah, that would have been really well. Well, apparently with his original story, Tarantino was going to try and make it for $500,000. Ambitious. Yeah, I know. So remember earlier today when I was doing my research, um, mm-hmm. we were talking about Roger Ebert. Yeah. And I mentioned that I it seemed like he never liked any horror movies and that most of the stuff I liked he hated and that kind of thing. And That's how I always picked out what was good is if he hated it, I'm going to love it. Here's the thing. I am issuing an immediate retraction to that because he loved this fucking movie. Okay. Four out of four stars for his Chicago Sun-Times review. Okay, first of all, who does a four-star review? I mean, I, g- give it a full five. He only went up to four at the time. Was it a four-pointed star? Like, total of four stars. Right, but were his stars? I don't know. Maybe it was a typesetting thing. I don't fucking know. Yeah. 
So for his Chicago Sun-Times review, he gave the film four out of four stars Mm -hmm. and wrote, seeing this movie once is not enough. The first time is for the visceral experience. The second time is for the meaning, which I I don't even know what to say to that. I mean, I get what he's saying, because, I mean, I've thought that about several movies where it's like, okay, the first time is the experience, and you're like, oh, oh, what's going on? And then the Mm -hmm. second time, you're, like, picking up all the... I mean, especially in horror, you catch things on your third, fifth, seventeenth obsessive watch. Right, exactly. It's just interesting to hear those words coming from him. Mm. The guy who thought Pearl Harbor was better than Torah, Torah, Torah. Which, I mean, everyone is welcome to their opinion, that, that, that opinion is wrong. It, it, it's wrong in, in my eyes, but, you know. Yeah. He also liked Braveheart, which, as far as historically accurate movies goes, is not. Yeah, in really any way. But then again, it's about a myth- mythical, legendary person. So. Well, he, William Wallace did exist. He was a real person. He wasn't eight feet tall. No, he wasn't. And they completely over overlooked the fact that Robert the Bruce and Longshanks were related and all that other stuff. Yeah, they, yeah, they did a lot of shit. Anyway... So, fun facts about this film. I didn't know this. Do you know who did the soundtrack? Mm-mm. Trent Reznor. Oh, yeah, I did know that. I didn't know that. I just forgot I knew that until you mentioned it. Now yeah. I remember. Apparently, Trent Reznor watched the film over 50 times to get in the mood. And he wrote, it, he wrote the, the score while he was on tour with Nine Inch Nails. Right. Another fun fact when it comes to the soundtrack, he and Oliver Stone actually wanted to get Snoop Dogg involved somehow. Nice. But Warner Brothers wouldn't let them because at the time Snoop Dogg was on trial for murder. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I got it. You can say what you want about Oliver Stone, but for a collaboration like that and him being totally wanting it. Yeah. I, I respect that. Warner. Yeah. Warner Brothers told him no. Mm. So Oliver Stone has always maintained that the film is a satire mm-hmm. on how serial killers are adored by the media for their horrific actions and that those who claim the violence in the movie itself is a cause of societal violence have missed the point of the movie entirely, which I wholeheartedly agree with. Yeah, we watch horror movies all the time. Neither of us has ever committed a murder. No. Fair. So we'll have to do an episode on, uh, on this at one point, because I would like to discuss it, this whole idea that violent media leads to violent behavior, because it is bullshit. Yeah. It's, it's entirely unfounded. I think there have even been multiple studies that prove it's not true, but we'll have to, I'll have to dig into some research for that. And I did not have the time to do that today. Yeah, I'll, I'll pull up the congressional hearings on video games while we're at it. And we can Ooh, just, yeah. Yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. Stay tuned. Not yeah. in this episode, though. <laughs> not, not, yeah, no, not right now. So the, the fake TV show in the movie is called American Maniacs. It's Wayne Gale's TV show. And in the show within the film, he tells a story about Mickey killing a cop after asking him for directions. Mm-hmm. That story is taken almost verbatim from a story that J. Edgar Hoover made up in the 1930s about Clyde Barrow. Huh. Yeah. Full circle. So apparently in the 1930s, J. Edgar Hoover decided that the public opinion of Bonnie and Clyde was too positive. Yeah, I mean, they were almost folk heroes. Yeah, so he wanted to try and kind of squash that a bit. So he claimed that Barrow approached an Oklahoma City police officer asked for directions, and then shot him in the head with a shotgun. The story, however, fell apart 
when he was questioned and facts, basically questions were raised as to if the officer was alone at the time, how did Hoover know that it was Bonnie and Clyde that had killed him? Yeah, it didn't make sense. Also, where was his shotgun that the cop didn't know it was there? Right. That's another thing. At least that's in there's a lot. There were a lot of questions that were asked and he like. Look, yeah. I've played enough Hitman to know you can pocket a pistol, but you can't pocket a shotgun. No, that shit goes on your back. Yeah, it goes on your back or you're, you're holding it. It's kind of obvious. Yeah. Anyway. So my last little fun bit of trivia for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, if you will remember, I, it's been a while since I've seen it. I kind of want to rewatch it now. What's that? Natural Born Heroes. Oh, okay. Natural Born Killers. Not Natural Born Heroes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Natural Born Killers. I would like to rewatch it now because it's been a while since I've seen it. And now I kind of want to, I don't know, I want to give it another shot because I don't, I think, I I don't think I enjoyed it the first time I saw it, but I would like to rewatch it and reassess it if that makes any kind of sense. So if you recall, Mm -hmm. Robert Downey Jr.'s character does an, is Australian. Well, again, but before again. What? He's done the voice before. Well, here's. Or since. So yeah. Well, here's the thing. So in Tropic Thunder, mm-hmm. the character that Robert Downey Jr. plays, Kirk Lazarus, was originally written as Irish, mm-hmm. but the role involved a lot of um, improv and ad-libbing, and so they changed it to Australian because Robert Downey Jr. said it would be easier for him to improvise in an Australian accent because he'd already done it before for Natural Born Killers. Fair. I mean, that, I think that's brilliant. Yeah, I agree. It's very cool. Mm, Tropic Thunder is such a good movie. Yeah. We should watch those back to back. Do Natural do Born natu- Killers and then Tropic Thunder? Yeah. We'll, okay. need, we'll need a palate cleanser after Natural Born Killers, so Tropic Thunder. That is fair. Because I don't know about y'all, but sometimes you watch a horror movie and then you're like, I need something to wash this off my brain. Well, speaking of needing to watch wash things off the brain. Are we going to cr- talk about Chris and Tina? We are, because I, they are first on my dishonorable mentions list. Fantastic. So, a while back, I foolishly brought up a film (laughs) we didn't know in our vacation horror episode and i said i definitely wanted to see it Mm -hmm. and since it's about a killer couple and we're doing killer couples i'm like this is kismet this is this is beautiful perfect alignment of the stars let's watch this movie multiple times he was like well we have to watch it now we said we'd watch it and now we have an excuse hey i try to keep every (laughs) single promise i make on record here Unless I edited it out, which I didn't. So, there. That is true. So, Sightseers. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is the film that got me to Kong Skull Island and and uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters. But no, Sightseers, it's an experience. It's beautiful. Uh, the cinematography is rather pretty. Mm-hmm. It's one of those movies that as you're watching it, you're not sure. You're like, am I supposed to like these people? Um, what is my opinion of these people supposed to be? Because Chris and so Chris and Tina are both broken individuals. And have you ever known anybody that's like, I mean, they're iffy at best on their own, but when they're paired with another person, they become mutually toxic where they just kind of continue to spiral until you get to kind of a critical mass. Yeah, these would honestly, this would be an example, I think, of uh, Folly Adieu, if Folly Adieu was still a thing. Um, So Folly Adieu is French for madness for two. Mm. And it used to be used as like a psychiatric and psychological term for basically this kind of thing when 
two people get together and they create almost like this perfect storm of madness where they believe it's there's like a shared delusion or mm-hmm. individually they're fine, but together they're, they're, they're they don't mix. Right. It's no longer part of the DSM just because it's hard to diagnose and the symptoms are it's it's very weird. So it's been removed. Okay. That's why I didn't I didn't go into it too much. But like honestly, Chris and Tina kind of the traditional idea of folly ado probably would apply. Now that's not to say that they're completely horrible people. They have their moments. Uh, they have their moments. Endearing traits. I have never in my life seen knit lingerie. I know. Knit. Not only knit lingerie, knit crotchless panties. <laughs> I don't. There can't be a. She had to have come up with that on her own. Because I have. I find it hard to believe that there is a template. Uh, <laughs> that there's a design template online for knitted. For cr- Knit cr- crotchless panties. That doesn't make any sense to me. So the the general premise is basically, uh, you know, Tina lives with her mom and her mom is toxic. An insufferable uh, bitch. I mean, everybody in this movie is... is like, <laughs> as they're leaving, her mom says to Chris, I don't like you. And then calls Tina a murderer. And Tina goes, it was an accident. And her mom goes, so were you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, so that's our setup at the beginning. They're basically planning to go on this holiday. They've got a caravan. They're doing cross-country stuff. Yeah. And, I mean, they're going to a pencil museum. They they go to a, a transport muse- museum where they go on one of the last two remaining types of this one trolley. This one type of tram in the uh, UK. Yeah. And, yeah. And it seems like kind of a... It's not the type of trip I would plan, but it's definitely... It, it's kind of cute. Yeah. You know, the way the way they've got it planned out. And they're just going to basically... They're going to these campgrounds and such yeah to to hook up and along the way they do some murdering yeah uh but okay the first guy i i still kind of believe it was an accident that he wasn't too upset about rather than intentional i yeah maybe i mean just that smirk on his face though when he realizes that he's killed the guy that littered on the that littered on the the tram and that was being a douchebag but you know whatever but come to find out that dude's basically a serial killer and she kind of develops she's like, like oh murder is fine okay i guess i'll just do some murder too and so she kind of does like impulsive kills and he and, gets mad at her when she does murdering though well because he's very timing and he picks a target and he goes and she's like whatevs i do love when he when so he's still still in the caravan and she's driving the car <laughs> And he wakes up and realizes that she's driving while he's yeah. in the caravan. And he goes, pull over. And she's like, okay. And just goes, boop, and runs over a jogger on the side of the road. And, and, and they have a row and they argue a bit. And he, he belittles her for, for killing. And then they both together carry that dead jogger into the woods. Yeah. Where she says, I don't think anyone will see him, even though I can clearly see his reflective day glow vest on. But, yeah, you know, whatever. whatever. I don't know. It's... It's a journey, but it doesn't take you to a destination. It's more like taking you around the block. Yeah, fair. So I do have a couple other honorable mentions. Sure. Chucky and Tiffany. Obviously. From Child's Play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John and Evelyn from Hounds of Love. Okay. Johnny Bartlett and Patricia from The Frighteners. Mm-hmm. That would be Jake Busey's character, mm-hmm. the executed serial killer and his girlfriend. Yeah. Veronica and JD from Heathers. Hmm, yeah. 
Charles and Mary Brady from Sleepwalkers. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, that that movie ruined a song for me. I'm sorry. And then Cliff, a.k.a. Rocky, and Sydney from A Perfect Getaway. Yeah. Those are ones I at least wanted to mention in case for anybody who was like, oh, I hope they say this. I said it. There you go. I didn't go into it in too much detail, but we only have so much time. Yeah, because no one's listening to a five-hour podcast. Well, no, probably not. I mean, maybe you would. Maybe there is one. I don't know. I mean, I listen to three to five hour long YouTube videos while I'm at work. So Fair. So I think that is going to do it for us this week. Mm-hmm. And while we have been discussing killer couples, don't go out and be a killer couple yourself. I mean, be awesome. Be awesome. Be a great couple. Be, be killer in the other sense of the word, not in the literal sense of the word. Please. If you are uncoupled this Valentine's Day, we still love you. Absolutely. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with being by yourself. Yeah, being by yourself can be great. being with a group. Yeah. Or being with one person. Yeah. Love yourself. Do whatever. Whatever makes you happy. Yeah. So as always, you Mm -hmm. can follow us on Twitter at H2HorrorCast. You can email us at H2HorrorCast at gmail.com. We have our lovely Patreon. Yes, we do. Patreon.com slash H2HorrorCast. Shout out to our patrons, Lizzie and Teresa. A.K.A. my mom. I love you guys both. You're amazing. And you can check out Lizzie, uh, A.K.A. Carnage Candy on YouTube. Mm-hmm. She has some fun videos. She just did a review of Repo the Genetic Opera. Oh, awesome. I know. And that's Carnage Candy with two Y's. Yes, candy is sold with two Y's. I'm trying to think if there's anything else we need to mention mm. this week. I don't think there is. Look, I'm just going to put this right out there anyway, since we haven't said it yet. Mm -hmm. While some people love Valentine's Day and look forward to it and plan it and have all these events and shit, Mm -hmm. a lot of people also say Valentine's Day sucks. And I couldn't agree more. Yeah, we don't really celebrate Valentine's Day. Yeah, I mean, it's... We celebrated our first Valentine's Day together by watching True Blood and eating chili. Mm -hmm. I might make chili this year. Cool. But that's about it. But I mean... Seriously. Yeah. I I get it. It's not a big deal. Oh, also, I want to do a special shout out. Yes. We have a listener now from the Isle of Man. At least one. At least one. If you've never seen their flag, check it out. It's three legs. It's kind of horror themed. I don't know the history behind it. Is it legs? Yeah, I think those are legs. Well, now I'm curious. So while she's looking that up, I I just wanted to say, oh, wow. Welcome. It is legs. That's so cool. Yeah. So, welcome to the podcast. Neat. Yeah, welcome. Your flag is cool. I I weirdly like that. (laughs) I don't know why. Anyway, (laughs) thank you all. Thank everybody for listening, not just just those on the Isle of Man. Thank everyone all over the world. Yes, please. Uh, (laughs) I don't know why you stay with us. Sometimes we're so weird. Well, I mean... You know, sometimes just hearing a friendly voice is, is all it takes to get through the day. I mean, that's, that, that's what I do that's with fair. other content creators is I, I listen to them if, if I'm not with you. So, Oh, thank you. That's that's fair. All right. So until next time, I'm Tia. And I'm still David. And thank you for listening. Bye. Music for this episode was Out of Time by Shane Ivers of Silverman Sound. Our artwork was created by Catherine Nixon. <laughs>